Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. It's good to see you this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. We're going to be there. Great passage this morning. I'm excited to preach it to you. Uh, before I begin, you know, I've, I've just been so encouraged by so many of the blessed stories, all of the blessed stories that we've heard. And as you know, back in September, we shared on Vision Sunday that we want to be a church that it's getting back to prayer and evangelism, the basics of what it means to follow Jesus. And so blessed has been that, that, that vessel that we've been doing to kind of remind us why we're here, the mission of God in Lake Norman. But there's something else that we're doing right now, and that's in the first service, every single week, we have a prayer gathering getting that's happening, and we invite different people into that. And a few weeks ago, I want you to see some of these pictures. We've been, we invited our, our kid life in there. And so you'll see some pictures of kids, you know, all our kids went in there for a certain amount of time, praying for this service, praying for God to change people's hearts and lives. Casey, one of our, 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 work, our kids workers in there, just teaching them how to pray. Does that not bless your heart to see that our kids are, yeah, you can, pray, you can praise God for that. Because we want our kids to believe in the power of God. We want them to believe that they can, that they are actively part of what happens here in this church. They're not just consumers. And so that's something I wanted to share with you. And if you're interested in being a part of that, uh, I've talked to every single, every single group that's been in there. I've talked to people that have done it for the first time. And every single person will tell me that when they did it the first service and they came in here second service, that their worship experience was so much different. When you begin praying like that and then come in here, it just changes your focus and your mindset. And that's open every single week. We have people in there. We'd love to, to invite you and your family in to try that some Sunday. Uh, a couple other things that are going on. Uh, mark your calendars for March 5th. March 5th, we're going to have a family meeting in the evening, 6 p.m. You know, there's so many things that are going on that we never get a chance to get into uh, in depth with you guys as a church family. And so March 5th, we've got some, I got a big announcement we want to share with you. We just came back from our elders retreat and we want to share with you some great things that have happened, some some plans for 2023. We're going to give a financial update. I'll be able to share with you some more information. We just hired last week a youth pastor. So praise God for that. Amen. And uh, I, I just, I, I want to invite you out for that family meeting. It's probably going to be about an hour to hour and 15 minutes, but, but come and be ready to be encouraged by what God is, has done and what he's going to do. Now, how many of you go to the beach every summer? Raise your hands, all right? Beach people, all right? Um, we, when my family moved down here, when Liz and I moved down here in 2000 from Pennsylvania, you know, just we realized everyone goes, they, they have a certain beach. I know there's mountain people and beach people, but usually you end up going to one of these beaches. And so uh, back in 2002 was our first time going to the beach with my, with my family, my extended family, and we, we found the best beach. I love the Isle of Palms. I'm not sure if you've ever been to the Isle of Palms, but it is the best beach, all right? You can, all have, you can have your myrtle, you can have all that other stuff. Isle of Palms is where we went. We loved it. We went there for about 16 years and, and uh, every single summer, went towards the end of the summer. And, and you guys know when you go to the beach, uh, you know, you like to go, I, I don't really like the water that much, but, but if, I'm, if, I can, if my feet can touch the ground, I'm okay. Or the sand. And so, uh, you know, you walk out into the way, when you walk into the waves and you kind of enjoy the water a little bit, and uh, you know, you know, when you get out to about chest deep and, you, and when the waves come, you just kind of jump with the waves and kind of let the waves take you. And when you're out there for about 10 minutes, if you, you know what happens when all of a sudden you look up and where are you? You're like, 
you're like half a mile that way. Because what happened? The waves just, just took you where you where it wanted to take you. And then you're like, oh man, all our stuff is way back there. And you got two options. I'm either going to swim against the current, or I'm going to go to the shore and walk down to my stuff again. But the reality is that when we are, when we're kind of just drifting in life, the water will take us where it wants to go. And that's exactly what this passage is about this morning. This passage is about the drift. It's about the spiritual drift that happens in our lives when we are not actively pursuing God, that we will wake up one day and say, hey, why am I here and not there? I should be there, but I'm here. And one of the things that Dan's been preaching the last couple of weeks in this entire sermon series is about this intentionality, right? This sermon uh, that we're studying is... Uh, is a sermon that Moses gave to the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, on the precipice of, of entering into the promised land. He's been leading them for 40 plus years, and he's about to die. He's 120 years old, he is, and he's giving the one final word, and he's telling them, listen, before you today, you have a choice. You have a choice to make. Life and death, blessing and curse. What will you do with the choice that you have before? You can either succeed and follow God and enjoy all of his blessings, or you can turn away from God, do your own thing, and reap the curses that come from that. And so throughout the sermon, we see this point in here where he says, listen, if you want to succeed in the land, it requires there to be intentionality, not just with you, but with your family. And that's what this whole theme of legacy planning has been about. Are we being intentional with our families? There's a great devotional. We, we have a devotional team, and this devotional this past week was the difference between intentions and intentionality. And if you have our app, you can go and read it. It's phenomenal, but it's, it's a great reminder that many times we live by our intentions and not intentionality. And so what we want to look at this passage today is how do we become intentional all the time, not just saying, okay, I'm going to choose God to follow God now and then walk away from it. Because all of us, have, there's been times in our life where we have a mindset, I'm going to do this, and then we drift. And so I want you to see this. Look at verse 12. M uh, Moses, in, in this passage, he he's, tells them, hey, listen, in verses 6 through 9 is really this idea of, uh, hey, be intentional with your family. Dan did a great job the last two weeks. Didn't he? I mean, he did awesome. And uh, if you go down to verse 20, the argument of, or the instruction of family discipleship kicks back up again. And so whenever you're reading the passage of Scripture and you see this, this passage kind of stops the argument where it's going and it redirects, what's Moses doing? He's, he's making a point saying, okay, stop right now. Because this intentionality with your family, it's not just a one-time thing you do. You have to keep doing it. Over the last couple of weeks, as Dan's, Dan's sermons, I, I, as I was listening to it, i got to be honest with you, I came under some conviction. Because th there have been times in my life that I can look and say, man, Liz and I, we really, we were on point, and we did a good job of, of discipling our kids. And there have also been seasons in my life where I have not done that well, where I've, I have drifted myself. And so this passage, it... it, it, it really resonates with me because I think all of us can find ourselves there. And look what it says in verse 12 when, when Moses says, then take care, underline that word, take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
That word take care is the same word as the word keep we find in other places in this sermon. Remember, the themes of this sermon throughout the book of Deuteronomy is hear. Hear the word of God. Hear from God. Love. Love him with all your heart. Keep his commandments and teach it to the next generation. That, those four words summarize the book of Deuteronomy. And this word take care is the same word keep which is keep the commandments, to say, you've got to be intentional. Because if you're not, you will drift. You will forget. And that word forget is this idea of, I'm leaving it behind because I don't care about it. Now, those of you that are parents in the room, you probably will resonate with this illustration. But have you ever asked your kids something to, to do, given them a responsibility, and they don't do it, and their reason is, I forgot. Has ever happened to you? All right, hey, Johnny, before you leave, clean your room, and then you can do the other things, and, and you come home, and the room's not clean. And, hey, why didn't you do this? I forgot, right? And there's really, there's two kinds of forgetfulness, all right? Two kinds of forgetfulness. The one kind of forgetfulness is you actually do, you know, like the cognitive membranes in your brain are just not firing, and you're like, oh, I forgot to get the thing at the grocery store they needed to. Right? That's, a, that's a legitimate forgetfulness. But the other forgetfulness is this idea that I didn't remember because I don't really care about it. And that's what we're talking about here. It's not saying, when he's not saying, you know, keep your heart, you know, make sure you watch yourself or else you're going to forget God. It's not going to be like, oh, wait, wait a second. That's right, there's a God in heaven. I completely forgot about that. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that your heart gets taken over by something else and then you drift away from God because something else is stirring inside of you. And, and this isn't, he doesn't just say it here. I want you to see these verses on the screen. Moses says this numerous times in the next four chapters, starting in chapter four, only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget, there's that word forget again, the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, make them known to your children and your children's children. Those two, those two ideas, take care lest you forget. Chapters 4, verse 23, take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made for you. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 12, we just read that. Take care lest you forget the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Skip down to verse 14. Then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 8, verse 19, and if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Why is Moses, why does he have to say this like eight times in four chapters? You know why? Because he knows these people. He knows the children of Israel. Moses was there on Mount Sinai, when God comes down in all his glory and the fire and the flame and the voice, and the people are like, God, you're awesome. We want, man, we want, we're going to be your people. You're going to be our God. And a week later, when Moses is up on the mountain getting the stone tablets, what they're doing, hey, let's, uh, where's God? Where is he? Let's, let's make a calf. Let's make a golden calf and worship that. Moses is saying, don't forget the Lord. You know why? Because I know you. I know you people. And you drift all the time. I mean, it takes a moment for you to forget God and you do your own thing. And just like Moses, God knows our hearts as well. And you and I have the same tendency to forget God 
like the people of Israel did. Because our hearts are prone to wander. We always, you know, just because you're following God now does not mean that you will always follow him. In my, in my, in my own life, talking to people in their spiritual journey, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say this, I didn't think that blank would happen to me. I don't know how I got here spiritually. And it doesn't matter how strong you feel right now. I don't care if you've got a seminary degree. I don't care if you've been coming to church every week for your entire life. The potential for you to drift away from God is real. And so these instructions that, that Paul or that, that Moses is giving to the people is, listen, be careful. Be aware lest you forget him. The main idea I want to leave you with today is this. Beware of drifting away from God. Beware of drifting away from God. The potential for you to drift away from God is great. And so what we've got to do is make sure that we are, we are moving in the right direction. It's kind of like when all of us drove here this morning, and when you drive, there's, there's four different positions that you can put your car into. Park, reverse, neutral, or drive, Right? And if your car is not in drive in going after God, what happens is it goes from drive to neutral spiritually and then to reverse. And that's what we're going to see. Moses is saying, if you do not keep your foot on the pedal and go hard after God, you will find yourself in neutral and eventually your car is going to go in reverse. And that's exactly the pattern we see here in this passage. So beware of drifting away from God. How does the drift happen? How does it begin Will begins in verses 10 and 11. Let's read this again. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all the good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord." Right there, he's saying, listen, you're about to go into this land, and when God gives you this land, he's going to give you a land that's already mature. Trees are going to be planted. Houses are going to be built. Cisterns are going to be dug. What is, again, there's a, there's a picture here we see throughout the sermon that Moses gives to them. There's these allusions that go back to Eden. There's a reset that God is doing with his people. Where else did we find people that were placed in a fully furnished land that was ready for them to enjoy. It was Adam and Eve. God gave them a garden full of mature trees for them to, to prosper and thrive in life. And God's doing that again with, his, with the nation. He's saying, listen, I'm, there's a great reset. I'm giving you all these things, but there's also a danger in this moment. Because look at that last thing he says in verse 11. And when you eat and are full, it's this idea of being satisfied that your soul is satisfied, that you're full. They're like, man, that's enough. See, the greatest danger that we face spiritually is usually not when things are bad, not when we're in need. The greatest danger to drift away from God happens when we have experienced all the fullness of God's blessing. See, for us as Americans, the greatest temptation to forget God is when God materially blesses us abundantly. 
And we just kind of forget, we kind of drift away. We forget that all the things that God has done for us, that everything we have received from God, the abilities that we have to even perform our job, the spouses and the children and the house and, and everything else that comes along with it. And not only that, the, the actual spiritual blessings that we've, he's given to us. If you look down at the end of verse 12, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's not just the things that he's given to us. It's the things that he's saved us from. See, we have so many blessings to, to thank God for. And if we are not careful, we will forget God because we have forgotten to be grateful. And that's the first thing is we stop being grateful. The moment we stop being grateful is the moment we start drifting away from God. What, God, what Moses is telling his people is when you enter in this land and you start receiving all of these great, great things, you better have a heart of gratitude towards him. Gratitude for these houses that you didn't build, for these trees you didn't plant. You're going to walk into a fully mature environment that you're not going to have to work for. This is what we call the grace and the mercy of God. And God shows it to us today as much as he shows it to them. And there's reasons why we drift away from gratitude and we drift away from God. The first one is we, we tend to just forget that what we do have does come from him. Every, think about if you made a list of all the good things that are in your life, the source of all those good things, the originator of all those good things, you know what it comes from? It comes from God. The other danger is we start thinking about what we don't have. Have you ever done that? You look at your life and be like, oh man, I don't have that. Look at that person, what they have. And, and we forget that all the fullness of what God has given to us, we think about the things that we don't have. And when we have that kind of heart, we will stop being grateful. Dan and I just recorded a few episodes this past week on uh, our Life Talks podcast on marriage. And it's going to be released. I'm, I can't be sure if it's this week or next week when they'll be released. But um, I use this illustration as I, you know, I'm going back to school. I've been doing a lot of reading on marriages. So there's going to be some marriage illustrations in here today, all right? But I'm reading this book how couples that tend to get in a negative spiral with each other, things go on in life and they both are not meeting each other's needs, either physically, sexually, or emotionally. And all of a sudden they look at the, the spouses, you're the problem in my life. And you can get into this negative death spiral as a couple. And so what happens is when, when your perception of your spouse becomes primarily like default is negative of all the things they're not doing, chances of you seeing the good in them decrease dramatically. For example, they had this observation apartment for, for couples and these researchers were watching the interaction between the husband and wife. And they took a test, they, they had these tests that these couples would take before they entered into the, the apartment. And let's just say after the weekend in that apartment as researchers were observing them and the couple was interacting, they had to reassess and how the weekend went. And what happened was the researchers that had kind of a, just a blank slate of observing the couple, they were able, let's just say, they were able to identify 100 positive interactions between that couple for the weekend. The person with the negative perspective was only able to identify 50. You see, that's what, that's what the negative perspective has. That's what this, what I don't have or what I wish I had. Or the, when you and I are, have that bent and we have that shade of glasses we put on and we forget God of all the things he has given to us, we will start complaining about the things to God that we don't have. And when we stop being grateful, we will begin to drift. Gratitude, gratitude changes our posture 
and it changes our perspective towards God. Gratitude changes our posture and our perspective. And what we've got to do is start learning how to recognize the fullness of the blessings. Ephesians 1, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He's given us everything we need for life in God. He has forgiven us all of our sins. He has wiped our sin account clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has given us his presence. I love what it says in Psalms. That song we sang, he leadeth me. I love what it says in Psalm 139, that he hems us in behind and before, and he lays his hand upon us. There's so many beautiful things that the, the Psalms talk about what God does for us. But I'm telling you, when we forget about them, we will start drifting away from God. One of the things I would encourage you to do, this is just a, a simple uh, practice that I have started and has, has reaped some benefits for me I can see in my own life, is that to begin my day with gratitude, if you really want to change your perspective, begin your day with gratitude. Here's just a challenge, something very practical that you can do. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, your feet get out of bed and you put it on the, on the ground, pull out your phone, because I know your phone's right there, all right? I know, I know you people. Pull out your phone, set the timer for one minute. And set it for one minute and spend that one minute thanking God. God, thank you for this. Thank him for the spiritual blessings. Thank him for the relational blessings. Thank him for the material blessings in your life. Just 60 seconds on Monday. Start your day that way. On Tuesday, grab your phone. Get it, put your feet on the ground. Grab your phone. Set your timer for two minutes. And thank God for two minutes. And work your all, all the way up. By Friday, try to go five minutes by thanking God for what he's done for you and how he's working in you and how he's working around you. One of the, you, I've shared this before, but I always begin my day with a prayer walk, a long prayer walk. And what I do, I've, this is the practice I've started. I pull out my phone, I set the timer for five minutes, and I just praise and thank God for five minutes before I get into all the other things I need to talk to God about. Because that five minutes changes my perspective. It changes my posture towards God. And you know what I begin to do by beginning my day with those five minutes? As I go through the day, what do I start doing? I start seeing what God is doing. I'm more aware of what God's doing. But it begins with gratitude. And when you stop being grateful to God for what he has done in your life, you will drift. And when we drift by not being grateful, the next thing that goes is number two, we stop pursuing God. Not only do we stop being grateful, it leads to the drifting, but we stop pursuing God. Look what it says in verse 13. It says, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. See, Moses reminds them, you, it, it, once, you, once your heart is full and you forget God, what happens is, again, you, you take your foot off the pedal. You stop putting your car and driving, and you put it into neutral. And that's a very dangerous place to be spiritually. So what you've got to do is keep pursuing God. Fear him. Serve him. Swear by him. Now, what does that mean, swear by him? Like, I'm not sure what he means by that. When I first read them, I'm like, okay, help me explain, explain that for me, God. And when you look at how that word is used and what that word means, that word swear, swear, give you, uh, you, and him by his name you shall swear. The whole idea is that you, what you're doing in life is a sign of your allegiance to God. That these are three words that, that tell of the dedication and the allegiance. 
to saying, God, you're the one that matters most to me. All the things, all the, all the people pulling at my life, all the expectations, all the people, all the voices that I'm hearing, what I know is that I have to follow you. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to be pulled away by what this person's expectation is or my job's expectation is. I want to make sure that I am wholeheartedly pursuing after you. The fear of the Lord is great, which means I care about what he thinks more than anything else. I'm serving him. Everything I'm doing, whether I'm cooking a meal or working my job or I'm, I'm teaching my family the Bible, that I am I'm serving him. It's for you, God, that I do this. And I swear by him. It's the vow. God, I'm committed to you. I'm committing to you no matter if it's hard or it's easy. And that's the reality. It is hard, isn't it? I mean, how many of you, over the last two weeks after Dan's sermon, you're like, that's it. We're going we're gonna to do family devotions together. All right, kids, you heard Pastor Dan. We're going to do this. And you talk to your spouse. And All right, let's do this. And we're going to start with something really easy, Psalm 23. Like, I, I think I can teach on that. And so you pull up a Bible and you start saying a few things. And the kids start snickering. Or they start to throw something. Or someone's on their phone. And you're like, that's it. What? And you lose your temper, you yell, and you're like, okay, let's get back to the Bible. It's not easy, is it? You see, you have these ideas of saying, okay, I want to pursue after God. And you think that when you say, God, I'm going to serve you, I'm going to fear your name, I'm going to do what you want, that God's going to be like, oh, right, everyone, go aside. Make it easy for them. Is that what happens? Nope. In fact, usually what happens, and you can testify to this, you know this, that the moment you start doing the right thing, what happens? Opposition, right? And we get distracted by all kinds of things, either the disruption of I try to do what's right, and then obstacle, obstacle, obstacle. And the reality is, is that some of us have stopped pursuing God fully because the obstacles of life have come to us, and we just, it's just, we just stopped. And, and the reasons for why we stopped can become excuses when we do not push through those obstacles. Reasons become excuses when we stop pushing through them. Do, listen, you're going to face opposition. You're going to face obstacles. You're going to face distractions. You just have to keep moving forward. Keep your foot on the pedal and keep driving. Now, I'm about to rant for about two minutes, all right? But one of the great frustrations of living in Lake Norman is that when I'm driving north on 77 and I pass exit 28, it slows down for no other reason but that people are driving going 65 miles an hour, like, I got, I got to go home. And now they're like, there's water over here. Hey. Let's turn this into a Sunday drive. Guys, there's, there's water at Lake Norman. And you just, oh, let's just kind of, let's just kind of look around at the water, because I've never seen water before. And I want to enjoy these five minutes as I cross this hundred feet of Lake Norman. And and does that am I am I the only one that's frustrated by this? It, I mean, it's dry. Can I just get an amen from you people? Listen, when you're driving north on 77, there's a lake. Keep driving, okay? 
You don't need to stop. You don't need to take your foot off the pedal because it's just water. It's just to like, just get a postcard. It's, it's all, it's going to be there forever. All right? But, but here's what happens. You see the water, you get distracted, foot goes off the pedal, and what happens next? How many accidents have happened right out here? Right? Because people stop keeping their eyes on the windshield and keeping their foot on the pedal and driving the way they should be. And you and I do the same thing. We get distracted. We fear man more than we fear God. You stop serving God because things in life just got too convenient for you to not serve God. You know, one of the great joys, uh, this April will be five years that Liz and I have, have come here and, and we're so thankful for that. And a lot of times when you come here to places that have been, you know, we've gone into a church that's already been in existence before us, uh, you hear certain things that were normal for this church. And I remember hearing a number of things that people used to say, hey, there used to be this saying that we had at, at Life Fellowship that, hey, you, you, when you, on Sundays you come and you attend one service and you serve one service. How many of you remember that? You attend one and you serve one. You remember that? And when I, when I think back to, okay, why don't, why don't we still do that? You can have the, there's lots of good reasons, right? COVID, COVID disrupted so many things in our life. COVID disrupted our practices and our, and our pursuit. And, and, and we can look at that, but here's the thing. COVID can be a reason, but don't let the reason become an excuse. And there's certain things that maybe you used to do before COVID that you stopped doing. And what I want to challenge you this morning is this, don't stay stuck, don't let the excuse keep you from engaging and pursuing God. Because one of the things we say every single week here that Jason leads us out here with is that this church exists, right? The mission is to pursue at all costs a passionate God-centered life. There's no caveats to that. And what we want to be is a church and a people that are pursuing God, that we're not putting it into neutral. We're not taking our foot off the gas that we're not letting the excuses stop us. One of the things that we started doing starting in January, we have our next step station out here. And there's going to be different ministries that are out there all year long. We've got Kid Life out there. We had eight, eight of you sign up last week. Praise God for that. But we want to make sure that we keep presenting to you guys, hey, we want to get back to that attend one, serve one culture that used to be in this church. Don't let the disruption or the excuse, whether it's COVID, whether it's I'm new, whether, whatever, whatever it is, stop, stop letting the excuse keep you from pursuing God. That's number two. And here, and the reason why that's so important is this, because once you stop pursuing God, you will pursue something else. And that leads us to the third point. Look at verse 14. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You have this warning, and, and Moses gives these warnings throughout this passage. It says this, listen, once you, stop, once you stop being grateful for what God's given to you, and you, stop, you forget all that he's done to bring you up out of Egypt, and, and the moment this drift starts happening and you stop fearing him and serving him and swearing by his name and you start 
putting that car in neutral. It's only a matter between before that car goes from neutral to reverse. Because Moses knows this, that we were made to worship. You and I must worship something. We need purpose and we need, we need pleasure and our hearts crave. There's certain things our hearts were made to crave. Our hearts were made to crave communion. Our hearts were made to crave comfort. They were, it was made to crave purpose. It was made to crave all these things that we desire in life. And what the Bible teaches us and what God presents to us is that he alone is the one who can fill, fulfill all of those desires that our heart craves. But if what we, if we do is we don't follow after him, and what we do is we start pursuing other things, what happens is we start, here's the third point, we start indulging in God's substitutes. We start indulging in God's substitutes. If you walk away from God, and start doing your own thing, what you will end up doing is trading one, the one true God for a false God. Moses knows this. The gods of the, of the Canaanite people were, were very, they, they, were, they were gods of nature and fertility. Why? Because it was an agrarian culture. And so what mattered most is that, that these were gods of power that can control the weather. They were gods that could have the, the land produced. They were gods that would help you have lots of kids for your farms. And so it was, they were gods of nature and fertility. The, the Bible mentions these gods as Baal, Asherah, Molech, Chemosh, and there are dozens of others that I want to go into them. But, but Baal was the main one. He was the sky god, the storm god. Asherah was his wife, a wife of fertility. And, and the Bible makes very clear that how people worship these gods was through sexual morality, through cutting themselves, through sacrificing their own children. It was debauched and heinous things. And this, when you hear this story or this, this warning, don't go after these gods, I know the temptation in your heart is to think this. That's so dumb. Like, like, are you kidding me? Like, why would they worship these other gods? I mean, I would never do that. I mean, bow down to these, these little wooden statues or these stone statues, like, seriously? But what you and I have to remember is that these gods, no matter what their names are, they represent the same human desires that you and I have. So even though you and I might not be tempted to bow down to a stone idol or a wooden idol, the representation of what those stone and wooden idols represent are the things that you and I still crave. Power, influence, fame, notoriety, pleasure, whether it's sexual or chemical, and prosperity or money. See, our hearts crave those things because what those things offer to us is a promise to, I will make your life good. And the very good that God promises Adam and Eve in the very beginning in the guards is, I want to do you good. What we believe as human beings is we take the words of God saying, God is the source of this good and he's the one who gives us this good. And we say, you know what? I want to find my own definition of good. And so what we do is we take the good things that God has given to us and we pervert those things and we create them as more important to us than God. And that is what an idol is. There's a great book that Timothy Keller, a great pastor and theologian wrote. It's called Counterfeit Gods. And his definition of idolatry is really powerful. It's really good. I have the definition on the screen. It says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. 
anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. I love that definition because that is exactly what happens when we leave God behind and start pursuing other false gods. That word imagination, when you lay your head on your pillow at night, what is it that you dream about? What is it that you desire? What is it that you're willing to move heaven and earth for to say, you know what, I will pursue this at all costs. Is it, a God, is it God or is it the God-centered life? Or is it something else? Is it, one, is it pleasure? Is it money? Is it power? Is it fame? What is it that you are saying, if I just had this, I would be satisfied? You and I are always tempted to leave God and to pursue something that we believe will give us ultimate pleasure and purpose. You want to know what your idol is? Whatever that one thing is that gets threatened to take away from you, and you all of a sudden, you lose your hope and your joy. That's what your idol is. You know, even in this family series, I was reminded by how many times Christians, Christian people, Christian couples can make family into an idol. Family's good. I mean, we're talking about family legacy here. But you know what? I've seen moms and dads make kids their idols. I've seen couples make an idol out of each other. And what they're saying is, you are the one who's supposed to give me ultimate pleasure and happiness. And I'm not sure I can't be happy unless my kids are following Jesus. And I've really wrestled with that idea because, you know, Dan and I have had conversations with so many of you and, and the reality of our children walking away from God. Can we still have joy and pleasure when that happens? Well, if your kids are your idol, you can't. And I was really wrestling with this idea, right, God, how, how do we have joy and hope even when our kids are doing things that are against you? And, and the joy and the hope comes from this. As much as I love my children, as much as we love our families and we can love our spouse, they can never take the place of God. And my joy and hope is this, not that my kids are going to turn out perfectly, not that they're going to be the ones that, look look at my children, look at what, the, look what God has done, look what I, I mean God has done, right? <laughs> that our joy and our hope comes from this, that even when our kids walk away from God, my joy and my hope is in that God is always working in their lives. He's always working. My, my joy and my hope is in him, not in what he gives to me. Your idol is that thing. Maybe you're even going to God for, God, I will bargain with you through my prayers. If you give me this really good thing, I will do something for you. That's an idol. And God will not answer that prayer. God knows our hearts. We have to understand that God, I love what this, the, the word of God says, that God is a jealous God. Verse 15, for the Lord your God is in your midst is a jealous God. This word jealous is not a bad thing. When you hear the word jealous, a lot of times we think, well, that's a negative, it's a negative thing. But it's our own selfishness that, that twists love into a, a, a very uh, myopic and narcissistic jealousy. When God is jealous, it is a pure jealousy, just like he has a pure anger. And God is showing jealousy, saying, I want to be the only one that you love. That's it. My wife, uh, my wife told me the story. She, she watched this one. She, we have one of these streaming services, and she thought, she saw the show called Sister Wives on. She thought, this is a show about two sisters that married 
couple different guys. No, 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 it's not that at all. It's about a guy who, it's about a polygamous family. And so my, my wife invited my daughter to watch a couple of these episodes with her because she wanted to teach my daughter some, some very, a very important principle. And that is in marriage, there can only be two people. Marriage is about one man and one woman. And anytime there's a third person or third party in that marriage, it's bad news. I don't care if it's a parent. I don't care if it's a child. I don't care if it's an adulterous relationship. But a marriage will fall apart when there's more than two people in that relationship. Amen? You guys know that. You get that. And some of the marriage problems that you maybe you've had is because there's more than one person in that relationship that you feel is taking the priority or the attention or the energy away from each other. And what, there's a good jealousy that a married couple should have towards each other. Say, I am yours and you are mine alone. And what happens is when that third party enters in, not good things happen. And that's exactly what God is saying. God is saying, listen, when you, when someone, when there's another, when there's another God in the throne room of your heart, I'm out. I will not share glory and I will not share space with another thing that you're going to worship. It's me and it's me alone. Right? When I think about why do we do this? Why do we go to idols? Because when you think about just this logically thinking, we have this God of the universe who's all-powerful and amazing, and then there's these other sub-gods, but they're not even as powerful. And what is the appeal of going to these false gods, these idols? And I, and I, and I believe I've narrowed down to three major reasons why I believe we can go after false idols. Number one, because we can control and manipulate the outcomes. See, if, if it means, okay, I can go to this idol, I can kind of get what I want. I'm in control. I don't have to wait for God because God is sovereign. God is in control. God is above all things. And I have to submit my will, my plan, my timing, my patience to his will and to his glory. And you know what we don't like? We don't like that. And so I want to control the timing of, what I, of the outcomes of what I want. That's number one. Number two, because our idols give us a temporary satisfaction. The dopamine hit versus the true satisfying pleasure. See, God is not about, he's not a God of dopamine. But some of these other false gods give us this dopamine hit in our brains to make us, it's this instant, instantaneous, I feel better in the moment, but I feel empty and regretful afterwards. That's what idols do. It never, they never fully satisfy us. There's a beautiful there's a beautiful line in, in one of the Psalms that says, God, you satisfy me as with fat and rich food. Man, that's what God does. It's not, it's not a hit. It's not instantaneous pleasure. But there's a satisfaction that comes only from God that we trade for that temporary moment of pleasure. And then lastly, we go after God, idols because there's no moral requirements. I can live how I want. I can come up with my own standard of right and wrong. I can come up with my own standard of how of activities, of a lifestyle that I feel good about. But I don't have to conform my holiness to an almighty holy God. And so we are left with this reality that we have chosen idols instead of God. And I don't care if you go to church every single Sunday, if you call yourself Christians. Here's what I know. Your family knows what you worship. Your family knows what you worship. 
And we have to do, we have to be honest with ourselves about what truly does captivate our imagination. What truly does move us emotionally. It says, this is what I believe is my ultimate pleasure. This is what I will move heaven and earth to get. And for us in this room, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, here's what I know. When we go after false gods, we will reap the consequences of that because God tells them at the end this, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from the face of the earth. There's a consequence that the people of God would have to face if they chose to reject God and go after false gods. God was going to say, I will leave you to that your own devices and I will remove you from this land. And we know that, you know, a thousand years later, that's exactly what happened to these people. They, they forsook their God and they were put into an exile. But you see, that doesn't have to be the outcome because even though our hearts are inclined to these idols, the beautiful thing about God is he always gives us an opportunity to come back to him. There's a, there's a word in the, there's a biblical word that we don't say enough in church but it's the word repentance. And it's this, the word repentance in the Bible means to change the mind. I will stop thinking this way, but also means a change of direction, a change of life. Repentance doesn't mean that I automatically feel bad and I'm crying about, I feel bad about my idols. Listen, all of us, when after we pursue idols, there comes a moment where like, I feel really bad that I made that choice and I didn't choose God. But feeling bad about something isn't going to change anything. And here's the other thing I've learned, that when you ask God, God, take this, God, I love this too much, take it away. God will never take away one of your idols. He will never do it. You know why? Because in order for you to show God your love for him, you have to lay that idol down and get rid of it. I don't want it. You can have it, God. But this repentance of I'm going to change my thinking that this thing truly is not satisfying. It will never satisfy my soul. In fact, it will bring harm to my life and to those around me. And I'm going to instead turn and go 100% towards God, towards him, towards Jesus Christ, the one who came, the one who manifested the, the true and pure jealousy of God, his desire for us and his desire to be close to us, his desire of, to, be, to be in a love relationship with us, that Jesus was the manifestation of his jealousy for mankind. He came to this earth. He went to the cross for your selfishness, your sin, your idolatry, so that he might be lifted up and say, you are it. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the one who brings the fullness and the abundance of true pleasure in life. Jesus, you alone. I've tasted and I've seen that you alone are good and satisfying. That is what God craves for our hearts to want him in that way. And we can never do that. We can never run hard and follow Jesus while we're holding on to our idols over here. And you, have, you and I have decisions to make about what we're going to do with the idolatry in our hearts. God's calling you today to lay it down. God's calling you today to give it up. God's calling you today to stop playing around with God. Stop staying in neutral. Stop the drift. Stop going in reverse and pursue hard after Jesus Christ. Today is the day that you can do that. It's not about what I feel emotionally. 
It's what God is calling us to do. And if he is worthy of our worship and worthy of our devotion and worthy of our service, then no matter what it is that has captivated our hearts, we can get rid of it because he is greater and more beautiful than it. That is the opportunity that all of us have every single day. Those of you in this room, maybe you've been drifting and you've been drifting for a while. And my challenge for you today is don't let another day go by with you drifting away from where you should be. Pursue hard after God. Not only because he's worth it, because he's the only one that can give you what you're really looking for. Three questions and then we're done. Number one, are you drifting or are you pursuing? If you're drifting, it's time to repent and come after God. If you're pursuing after God, praise God. Don't, don't, take that, don't take your foot off the brake or foot off the pedal. Keep pursuing hard after him. Number two, how will you show gratitude to God this week? How are you going to do it? I gave you an idea. It doesn't have to be that idea, but you, what are you going to do to show the gratitude and the worship to God that he deserves in your life? And number three, what are the false gods that you need to get rid of? What are the false gods that have captivated your heart more than Christ that he's saying, give it to me? He's not going to take it from you. You've got to lay it down at his feet.